a group of very young kids fight a group of very evil aliens and one man one homeless hobo takes up reins to take control of a well, we won't say the name of a town but a very screwed up town as we're here talking about kids versus aliens and hobo with a shotgun with writer director jason eisner here on overdue rentals Welcome back, everybody. I'm Matthew Shuckman. And I'm Cineblends Mike Reyes. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome back to Overdue Rentals, the show where we talk about films that for some reason people don't pay enough attention to anymore. And today's a good one, man. Today's a good one because, look, the new film that Jason has coming out, Kids vs. Aliens, which will be in theaters and on demand starting on uh, January 20th. Uh, which was which is based off of the short he made for VHS two, uh, yep, slumber party abduction. If I remember, correctly. yeah, it, it is one hell of a romp. But man, hobo with a shotgun. That's one of those movies where, like, look, whether you knew or not, you know, because this was he he made he entered the the trailer contest when Grindhouse came out to add a trailer to Grindhouse, and it was only it was, it was the winner, but it's only shown in like specific areas uh, and specific screenings. It didn't get to everybody, but a lot of people saw it online. But I remember when the trailer was out, this was at the same time, my brother sent me two videos, two YouTube trailers, the original Hobo with a Shotgun trailer and Troll Hunter. And he's like, these are going to be amazing. And both of the the full movies came out around the same time. And man, both were amazing. And Hobo with a Shotgun is a movie that is just, we'll get into it. But it's just like, you can't imagine how they can keep this thing going, but they kept that thing going, man. Well, yeah, we'll we'll get into it because unfortunately I had to sit this this interview out. So you're going to hear a good portion of this show where it's just Matt holding court. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that because look, co-host, friend, I like listening to him and you should like listening to him. So why shouldn't people like Jason Eisner like listening to him? And that's exactly <laughs> what we're going to listen to ourselves here on Overdue Rentals. Jason Eisner. Put down whatever weird alien snack that is and get on in here. I'm not as good as this as you are. As you are. <laughs> Jason, thanks again so much for your time. It's an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, you know, I, I want to kick in talking about Kids vs. Aliens first, obviously, because uh, that's, that's the most important thing at hand. And was it always a plan for you when you made the short for VHS to make this into a feature or is it just to kind of camp out in a different way? Um... Kind of like when I made the short, um, this was like, gosh, before like there was like a resurgence of doing like kind of kids uh, movies. Um, and I like I wanted to use the short as like a pitching tool to expand upon that idea and do more like within that like that kind of genre. Mm. So so it was always in your mind that this did this did want to be a bigger thing. So it was just like everybody's used to. It's like you make a short as proof of concept. Like when we made the short Slumber Party Alien Abduction, it was uh, like pretty short after there were talks of like turning it into, into a feature, but it never uh, fruitioned into anything. But I was like, so, I like I was so inspired by the idea of doing like a like a young adult like kids like you know more genre based like movie like the stuff I grew up on like Monster Squad and. 
and uh, at the time like you know this was 10 years ago i remember like pitching it around to studios uh in hollywood and uh that was like people were like a kid's like a kid's movie like yeah <laughs> like i just kept getting that like was like people just thought like really like a kid like kids would want to watch like something like that and i was like yes of course we like <laughs> you know, my generation grew up like loving these kinds of things so um i had like developed like a tv show that was like kind of like in that world um it was called the believers and spent like like a year or two like developing and pitching that around uh but uh, uh i kind of just took all the inspirations that i had from that and a lot of new inspirations that i had to make the the feature film because i didn't want to do the same thing that i yeah i did 10 years ago <laughs> <laughs> well i mean what I also, what I, I think the thing I love the most about the film is that you were so smart in how you handled, because you get that first opening shot with the kids and them making their movie. Mm. And it's obviously they're, they're using camcord, so it's a different technology than what you're shooting the film on. But it was so well mirrored in a way what you did later where I could, even though I didn't expect this was going to happen, I was like ready for the point where anywhere it could just focus out and there was another kid shooting it and it was like their own movie. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. And that's me. <laughs> I'm the kid <laughs> shooting the movie about a bunch of kids. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I felt like that was like kind of the spirit of like what we were trying to do with making the movie is like I had such a youthful, energetic like team. And, you know, we were making a movie about kids making a movie. I wanted our crew to get back into the feeling of what it was like being a kid and making a movie. So I just encouraged the spirit of that like so much while making it. Was there a point where Okay, because again, you know, you have you have your proof of concept short, um, which is available to the public through VHS two. Mm -hmm. you're, you're you're now you're you're expanding it, and this happened with Hobo with a Shotgun too, I guess. It's like because there are mm -hmm. certain things you recreate, but where there are certain things like I have to recreate it, people expect it, or just because I always love that shot and I just want to do it again in a bigger fashion. Yeah, there were only like maybe one or two moments that like were really that we took inspiration from from the short film. Um, one of them being. Uh, there's like this prank in the short where the kids like bust into their sister's room and they are blasting music on a on a stereo and they're throwing Christmas decorations everywhere and terrorizing her. Like that's based on a real, that's based on what me and uh, the co-writer of the movie, John Davies, who I've known since we were kids, we used to do that to my sister. And so uh, I wanted to bring that back into the feature and because uh, that, you know, it's just, it's very personal to us and, and uh and i thought like that to me was like the heart of like the the short film and uh and then there was a scene um where uh, a kid has drowned uh later on in the movie and they're reviving him on a dock that, yeah that's and, the one that sticks out the most to me yeah yeah and that is like weirdly uh i guess it like stayed with me or something like i grew up on the water and um i like i remember seeing um one time uh, there was like a jet skier that had an accident and my dad and a neighbor ran out to try and save them. And they were, you know, doing CPR on the dock in the, in the backyard. And this, it was the first time I saw someone die. Um, but it's just like that, I don't know, has always like kind of haunted me and maybe in some ways making the, that scene in this movie just uh, was a way to kind of like exercise some of that kind of stuff. I also found that's the other thing I also found interesting because uh, talking about him coming out of the water, I guess, is because, you know, in, in a movie like this, you, you don't expect them to go so quickly into the enemy territory. 
And it's just like, you're immediately just like, you know, going against convention in a lot of ways. Is that, per- like, is that the idea? Is like, you want to go against convention in that? Or it's just like, hey, this is what I wrote. And this is the way it's going to go. You know, there are times like there's a, there's something that happens to a beloved character in the movie um, that I could have done the conventional thing and done the easy thing. And people probably would have walked away from the movie, like maybe more like happy or something. <laughs> but I wanted to do something unconventional because I like, like the short film, you know, the short film stars my pet dog, uh, Riley, and I felt it, that the dog was the hero and it's like the, the story of this hero and, and like a move, like a horror movie, I wanted to end it in a horror film way, but treat the dog as if it was just the same as a human, like a human character. And so the, the, the short ends in such a traumatic way. And I wanted, I didn't want to do the same thing with a dog, uh, but I wanted to leave people with a similar kind of like feeling in a way. So I did take inspiration with that in just like sort of a dramatic sense. And I wanted people to kind of, you know, have that same sort of reaction, like in the the experience of watching the feature film. Even though there are creatures in this that were not in the short specifically, the original, the, the main creature design is the main alien designs with the same costumes and everything and just re- revamped up. You built new stuff. Yeah. Built all new stuff, redesigned everything. And, um, you're like, when we did the short film, like we only had $20,000 to make the short. And uh, so we literally just like painted my friends and like <laughs> put a mask on and, and like, you know, they were freezing, uh, when we did it. But this one, we had like full body suits and, uh, you know, we had a little bit more money to, you know, to build some like costumes and, uh, and then I wanted to like expand the universe of it some more. So like, you know, you see a kid, like you know get transformed into like what we call like this beast alien and that was a fun new design to like play around with and there's there's other you know other things where we tried to kind of open the world of the aliens a little bit more yeah they uh i, I mean i don't know I, I thought in my head i thought queen but maybe it could be king yes. i'm not sure <laughs> yeah no it was definitely uh it was funny uh, originally it was king and then um uh Ilya, who plays who played that alien um uh, he was he's a drag performer and uh when he walked out on set with it he's like i'm not a king i'm a queen and we we're like you're right you are <laughs> and so yeah we that's the way it is now <laughs> um you know there's there's also i i i'm gonna word this i'm gonna hopefully word this the right way because i always get strange i always feel strange when i say this because i don't want to say anybody should be brave or heroic for showing violence on children, but I think people shy away so much from it because it is a big popular mm-hmm. and big issue in the real world. And, and I don't want to hurt children, of course, mm. but being able to go out there and put it on because this is what the story is and this is what's going to happen to not shy away from it. Do you have any trepidations for Because again, there, there's one thing very specifically that happens in this yeah. movie. It's like, wow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> wow. no, it's definitely something I'm like conscious, conscious of, uh, but like for me with like, I guess like the, or like a rule or something that like I'm inspired by with like kids and movies is like, for me, they're just as a, you know, like I don't, I'm like, like, I don't want to treat them too much different than like I would treat like an adult like character on the screen because I see them just as strong and, and, um, and amazing as any like heroic, uh, you know, adult character on the screen. And so when I was a kid and I'm, I was making movies and, 
and uh, reenacting some of my favorite, you know, action scenes from films. Like we would have death scenes, like with you know where we're dying, like in yeah. them and stuff. So like, I just I don't know. I felt like that. You know, the kids that like we should be able to do that, like in, in a movie like this. And uh, and uh, yeah, and the kids like love you know love that too because it's uh <laughs> you know it's something they don't get to do. You know. Yeah. Well, it's also, and going back to also what you said about the idea of trying to expand this lore, mm. it's clear. I mean, I'm sorry, you know, I'm not trying to, to ruin it for people, but it's clear that you have something planned for going further with this. Was that all, again, was that something where it was always like, obviously you write it and you shoot it, you know, that's where you're going. But yeah, from the yeah. get-go, was that was always your plan? Yeah, that was one of the things that like, really inspired me kind of coming back to the story and doing it in a feature film was I had spent years like working on um, like properties for studios and stuff uh, and IP, like some of the IP that I loved like as a kid, but I, you know, when they wouldn't come to fruition, I would walk away with like nothing, you know, cause I didn't own it. And, um, and so this like was an opportunity for me, I felt to like kind of create my own universe um, like I was so inspired by like the toy lines that I grew up with, like Masters of the Universe and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles yep. and She-Ra. And I've just been really inspired by the idea of creating a universe that could be just as expansive as one of those. Like those I've lived on, like, you know, for decades. And like as a kid, like they created like a sandbox for like me to like, you know, play in. And then like I created my own stories with like those action figures and stuff and so i uh i don't know i just dreamed of the idea of like you know this could just be the beginning of something that could be much bigger like you could make shows or more movies like out of this world and we john and i just tease like things through this film that uh if we got the opportunity to make a sequel like you're gonna see a lot of those things get developed more and and come to life well in that same breath though when you when you say if you get the opportunity is this the case where I mean, obviously you have some idea no matter what, where you want it to go, but is this something where you've basically written it and he's like, oh, well, we're just gonna stop shooting here. And then if we can do it, well, we can now have it ready to go to shoot the rest. Yeah, like, well, I wanted the movies to still like, you know, in case we didn't get a chance to do a sequel that it had its own, you know, ending, you know, mm -hmm. like that, you know, there is a finality like to the story, uh, but there's just this extra little thing, you know? Um, and uh, yeah, I get like the, the, the the story, you know, we set out to was always, you know, it was always supposed to be this. And but while we were writing it, we were like writing another, like, you know, we had another document out for like where, you know, the idea, some of the ideas we had in this, like how it could expand in the next one. And, and we were also cautious too that like, you know, we were creating some rules uh, so that, you know, we wanted things to tee up. Like if we are to do a sequel, like it all makes sense. Like when you see this one, um, you know, that it all works out. I mean, uh, I'm not trying, I don't want I don't want any specific answers, obviously, but I am wondering if there was something I missed. Cause again, I went after, you know, I, I, you know, in preparation to talk to you again, also I rewatched over with a shotgun again, cause I haven't seen oh, it. Oh, cool. Oh no. Cause we're going we're gonna to get into that in a few minutes. <laughs> yeah. The emblem on that truck. Was that a reference to something that I forgot about or missed somewhere? Or is that a brand new thing? Um, you do see it on a couple things throughout the film. Okay. You see it uh, as a on Samantha's like wetsuit, and then in Hobo with a Shotgun, there's this moment with like two bounty hunters. Oh yeah, yeah. 
We'll and get they, to that actually. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like a squid monster that's in yeah. uh, in in that movie. So yeah. <laughs> okay, I was. I mean, I didn't want. I didn't want to keep jumping back and forth, but like that's. I was. I was wondering, like, because in my head, I started thinking, like, what is that whole emblem somewhere, or is it just a reference, maybe? to uh to rip and grinder in that scene but we'll we'll get to that in a second because I, mm -hmm. that's the thing we, at over rentals we love talking about films that because again as more and more films come out as more and more people are just obsessed with comic book culture and the mcu mm. whatever it may be there are films that we want to kind of talk about again because they're so good and hobo with a shotgun is a movie that was again from its origins to what finally came out because after when you first see the trailer, whether you knew it had anything to do with the Grindhouse contest or not, or you got to see it as part of Grindhouse or not, um, you know, it kind of got on the internet so people saw it and you're like, this is hilarious, but could they really do this to a full-length feature film? And I'm amazed, still amazed with what you were able to do to make this to because it's a movie that starts off so high octane, so out of the box, you're like, there's no way they can keep this up, and you found ways to do it and i'm like thank you thank you <laughs> <laughs> thank you yeah man we were like when we made that film it was like we, we we were approaching it like it was the first and last like film we were ever gonna make and it like we just felt like kids that like had robbed a bank pretty much <laughs> it's it's so it's so brilliant because again because i talk about it like and re-watching it i maybe not misremembered because i remember everything that happens but i think i remember i think in my head I think Rip and Grinder came in a little earlier in the film mm -hmm. to my mind than when then when later on. So it was like, all right, so he's just starting revving all this really obscene and crazy murder and, and just these one-liners that are just, even if they're recreated from the original or brand new, amazing. Like the fact when that headline drops in the newspaper and says, oh, but the man should change. <laughs> yeah. One of the most amazing things. Like, it's like, it's too brilliant. It's so smart where it's like, People who, because there are people who, some people who can't, like, I think, differentiate, uh, like, and I'll just use the, I'll turn, use the term B-movie, I guess. B-movie, yes, totally. where it's like, know it knows mean. what it's being, and B-movie, yeah. where just somebody made a bad film. Yeah. I'm like, you guys just knew what you were doing every second of this thing. Oh, thank um, you. <laughs> so, I, but that's the thing. And so, like, you, you like, then Rip and Grinder come into the movie, and you're like, what? Mm -hmm. Like, it's so amazing and so incredible. And it's like, you get to the scene where it's like, again, you first see their introduction going into the hospital, them wreaking havoc, the the with the, the spear gun zipping people up into the ceiling. Yep. And then you then you get to them fighting off that octopus monster next to the wall of like quote unquote, I guess Illuminati, if you will call it that. Make it simple. <laughs> yeah. It's everything from Abraham Lincoln to I think I see the Easter bunny. Yep. Um, they, you know, these there's targets they had, and the hobo's one of them. And it's like, how like I don't even know how you come up with it. <laughs> <laughs> well uh gosh like um that too is like you know so inspired by like the things i grew up like loving and 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 rip and grinder the plague to me that was like for an opportunity for me to have like uh like it was like two action figures uh just jumping into the movie you know it was like like, I don't know, maybe I saw like Rugger as almost like Rugger Howard's character as like almost like an old He-Man or something, you mm -hmm. know, and it's just like, you know, to see that a character like that face against like these like armored warriors from like another time. I don't know, I, like that. I just thought it was so good, so cool. <laughs> well, it's almost it must be great to, to get somebody, not only to get somebody like Rucker Howard, because he, he was so amazing. Oh, my God. Yeah. Somebody who obviously understands what's going on. 
yeah. and is going to be full in on this process. I mean, are you still, even to this day after everything, are you still amazed that you were able to get that together? Oh my God. Yeah. It was a miracle. It did. Um, like I just did a, um, I was just talking about Rugger the other day and, uh, and I remember like when it came time, like, I kind of was trying to sabotage myself when we were doing the ca the casting process because I had an actor in mind already who was from Canada and I thought, you know, within the means of our production and everything like that was a realistic goal and then you know, the financiers and the the distributors were asking me to make a list of my favorite actors, you know, to play the role and so I thought like this is a ridiculous like process. I'm just going to put a couple names up here that will quickly get scratched off and mm -hmm get to business but uh rugger Hauer was for me like the first actor that i got into as a kid like i remember seeing the hitcher and salute of the jugger and surviving the game and all these movies with him that like like i like i, I started tracking down every movie that he was in because i know that he was the first actor i noticed there was something cool about him and it was lady hawk for me honestly <laughs> oh yeah i love that movie too like so much um and uh and so I put him like near the top of the list and uh, and then sure enough, they got me like a call with him. And when I got on the call, we had like a Skype call and um, it was two weeks before going into production. And if I didn't get him to say yes on that phone call, it was going to push the whole shoot and then financing would have got pulled out of it. and It would have been over. And uh, when I got on the Skype call with him, it like started off and he was like this, like with a cigarette, just like <laughs> watching the monitor, you know, <laughs> just like checking me out. And I was so nervous. I was so scared. And I just, I just, I looked into the lens and thought, you know, maybe if he just could look into my eyes, I could hopefully see, you know, I'm genuine and I have a lot of appreciation for him. And, and we talked about the movie for like five to 10 minutes and uh, I knew he was like an ocean conservationist and I grew up wanting to be a marine biologist before I got into filmmaking. And so we started talking about our love for the ocean and he went from like back here to like right up here and <laughs> we were having so much fun. And by the time the, the conversation was over, we were just like, I was so comfortable. I felt like I met like an old friend and, and it was like, so great to meet you. We'll see you later. Hope to talk again. And then, uh, my producer and uh, the cinematographer were listening behind the door and and they were they burst in right as I closed the laptop and they were like, did he say yes? And I was like, I don't know. I didn't even ask him. <laughs> and then sure enough, he called a half an hour later and said he would do it. And uh, yeah, just changed my life. And I learned so much from him. Oh my God. He prepared me for everything. Like I've never, there's no wrestler I've even like come across that like, you know, is uh, uh, near the, you know, the the kind of, uh, I, I guess, like, like, Bugger, like, he just, like, he challenged me every day in such a way that, like, a, in such a good way that just made me um, uh, be so convicted behind the, my choices, and, mm -hmm. uh, and he brought so many great ideas to it, um, but yeah, I'll never forget it, it's like, it was crazy, and I'm so sad he's no longer here because yeah. we would love to continue working with each other and and uh, yeah, I just felt like um, uh, it was like it was such an emotional experience uh, working with him. Uh, yeah. yeah. 
Well, not and then hopefully, I, and I'm not don't mean to bring up any any you know sad memories now too. No, but, no. <laughs> I think well, I think I I did talk to you very briefly when Hobo came out, and I think I remember you telling me you had you were originally planning doing like a movie about like a karate school where Rutger was the principal. Yeah. Oh my god! Along those yes. lines. Yes, blatant violence high is what it was called. <laughs> god damn, man, that's cool. You remember that? Oh, uh, uh, like, yeah. like like it was yesterday. Wow, cool. Yeah, that would have been amazing um yeah gosh yeah it's too bad yeah uh i miss but, that guy so much in a lot of ways though that the idea not the idea i don't know the full idea behind the film but like the ideas you were telling me about it fits into this idea of also kids versus aliens where you kind of going into that not necessarily nostalgia mode about 80s movies per se or anything along those lines mm -hmm. at that point but you obviously had this idea or feeling you want these are the things you wanted to bring back to life or bring to life in general Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's it's a shame because like the, all the films uh, I grew up like making uh, were like martial arts, you know, films. And that movie, Blade Valentine, High, was going to be like a martial arts action movie. And uh, you know, we we still have yet to had a chance for us to to get all that out, you know, because mm. uh, in, in a bigger way. So I don't know. Maybe one day we'll be able to do do something like that again, but. Oh man, that that would have been a really cool movie. Well, that's the that's the interesting thing too. Hey, you know, we you know we want more kids versus aliens or or, or the story to tie together into it, and we can get to not only bringing blatant violence high into it, but then all of a sudden the aliens versus the play. Look, Rip wanted a replacement for Grind. There was she was supposed to take his place. Nobody did. There's a story there too. We oh, have to yeah. make this unit. This universe has to come to life. Where this this <laughs> this, this multiverse, whatever you want to call it, you know, the cinematic yeah. universe that is they call them nowadays. Oh happen. gosh, yeah. We we wrote a feature film based on the plague as a, their own movie. Um, it was just too big. I think like when they budgeted it out, it was like a fifteen million dollar movie, mm. uh, which is like impossible to like make happen. So, uh, yeah, who knows? Maybe one day something like that could happen, or we figure out a way to do it like on a on a lower budget. But um, I I really want those to tell more stories with those characters and. And there's some nods to them in, in Kids vs. Aliens, too. You know, it, it's and not to, I keep jumping around now because I got I got on a tangent. But yeah, like, no problem. And going back to thinking about things from home from the shotgun, too, because, I, you know, there's so much of again, I could tell it even though I hadn't seen it in a few years. I could tell you everything that happens in the movie. Oh, then cool. I do forget about certain things like when they finally get back to her apartment and they're getting ready to leave. And they come up with the idea of, you know, the, the joining together for the mowing company and she's frantically trying to get to get, get it ready and you zoom over to him and he's kind of just like looking at her all strange and he's got the you you cut it we grow it sign it's so simply funny it's too it like it's it's too good to be true oh, <laughs> and it just, a... just goes back and forth yeah oh that's amazing because that scene it, it is one of my favorite scenes but it was written literally like minutes before we shot it oh yeah, I, we like got to set and uh, Rugger, you know, a PA came up to us and they were like, Rugger wants to see you in this trailer. <laughs> and so we go, John and I, and, and Rugger's like, this scene doesn't work. It doesn't work anymore. And he, and because, you know, as it goes when you're making a movie, like you just get all these ideas and the character of the hobo and what Rugger brought to it had changed like from like the script, like originally and and so the scene that we were coming up on and shooting that day you know some of the things that the hobo was saying and doing that just didn't work with the character 
character anymore and mm. and we left we left the trailer like so mad uh, john and i because we were like <laughs> god damn it he is right like he's so right like uh and so we just on the back of like a script we were just like jamming out ideas and then when we got to the set like with M molly the actor who plays abby and rugger um we were just kind of freestyling it like and uh in the in the in the rehearsal and then yeah what you see is what, what we did there yeah it's just i i don't mean to keep sounding just like overly you know um fanboyish it's just no it, i love talking kind of, about yeah. it <laughs> it just keeps so kind of like again even if it's if it's something like where again i never thought i'd see rucker hour go first let me wash this guy's asshole off my face yeah he made that up he made that right <laughs> yeah. on the spot and that that's an improv line like like what you that's him making it up break i use that take like that was amazing it's so brilliant but or or again or to like when it gets like it's still like when the scene of him talking to the babies is yeah. both funny in the and, and funny and i don't mean this because i think a lot of people say this uh, a lot of times they, they don't mean like not that they don't mean it they don't get it like because to me something the funniest stuff in the world is like you look at it you don't actually laugh you just go that's funny yes yeah like that's and but it's also perfectly entwined for like this dramatic you know moment for what's happening in the film like to balance that out is is just incredible and that's the power of rugger because like we wrote like this crazy like dialogue for him to say <laughs> to these babies and then he just brought like poetry and nuance to it like that was one of our one of our favorite times of uh on set because like rugger just like relished in like those monologue like kind of moments and he was excited to do it and uh you know, we only had to do a couple takes because it was just, it was bang on. And uh, even afterwards, he invited us to his trailer and poured us like some like really nice scotch. And we just like had a drink, like to kind of celebrate that moment. Because, uh, yeah, we knew it, it, it ruled. And, you know, eventually it became, that's what we based the trailer off the movie off of that speech. And yeah, it was a, uh, yeah, it was pretty wild. <laughs> yeah, and again, because again, like talking about the movie, like thinking about like, because normally you're so used to like these cliche uh, sayings, like, oh, it's a roller coaster, you know, it's a thriller ride, I mean, all this other stuff, even though I just use two things that are kind of what people talk about roller coasters are. But mm -hmm. um, that's the thing. This movie just starts at that point and just somehow finds a way to keep going. Yeah, like that's how I like my, I guess like my movies and everything I make is like every scene just has to like pop, you know, and it's got to be, have energy to it and, and, uh, you know, kind of stand on its own, you know, I approach every scene like as, as if it's like its own like, like short film and I want to put everything into it and, and, and bring a lot of charisma and energy to it. Um, and I don't know. Yeah, I hope that's like a quality people see in my work, whether it's in my documentaries or in my narrative films that uh, there's like an energy, you know, to it. Well, I'll, you know, we gotta let you go in a second. So for like one last thing, though, because, yeah, you know, look, you you have this other work talk about not just documentary, you have t you know, a lot of TV work. A lot, you know, a lot of production work and back and the forth, but mm -hmm. you really this and and Hobo with a Shotgun are your only two feature length films. Did you yep. want more feature length films, and it just took a while to get there, or it's just like no, I, I, it's just it comes at the right time. Oh yeah, I I ever since Hobo, the gosh, there's been like probably close to ten films that like I've taken to through development and 
tried to get made and it's you know it's a miracle that any movie gets made so i've i've been ever since i made hobo i've been working every day to try and get movies made it's just like that's you know how how tough it can be but uh there's been some times where it's come close like i had a movie um a, like right before we did dark side of the ring uh, called new york city outlaws that was based on a a, a diy uh a comic what we call power comics and uh that had been a movie i had worked on for like like since hobo mm. you know leading uh, up until when we were going to shoot that in 2016 and we got like relocation scouted it in toronto and we were casting it and we crewed it all up and it was like we were literally opening the door to the production office and the, the financers pulled you know half the financing out of it and just you know just uh killed the project so um yeah it's uh it's been a like a crazy road of like trying to get movies made and thank god uh mark ward at rlje he greenlit kids versus aliens without there even being a script and without nice. me doing the whole song of dance of making pitch decks and pitch reels and you know all this stuff i just pitched it to him over the phone and and uh, he believed in me and he knew that you know i could i could do it so uh that was so refreshing and uh and amazing so yeah big thanks to him for for believing me and uh, allowing me to make another movie and hopefully it's not another 10 years before no, uh, no. someone lets me do another one <laughs> well do you feel do you feel that there's, there's like you know, this new life in these not necessarily smaller production companies but this idea that as things like a24 or rlje you know, Shudder and all this stuff are, are, are gaining such ground with the public that it's going to come easier, maybe. I would, I, I, I hope to think so. I hope so. I hope, like, people are interested in hearing and seeing, like, new, like, ideas, you know? Like, um, like I've worked on things, like, uh, like, I tried, uh, I almost, like, got a Casey Jones movie off the ground, like, oh. based, you know, within the world of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and a worked on trying to make a masters of the universe movie and so <laughs> yeah. uh you know but for me it's like the the what was so rewarding about doing this was like i'm creating my own world and my own universe and and uh you know the only way it's going to continue is if people like watch it and get into it and and you know demand that i you know that people let me make another one of them <laughs> you know so um i just yeah i hope people could uh you know get inspired to to check out this movie and you know what we did on a you know s such a you know the fraction of a budget of a big you know blockbuster uh genre movie uh but we're trying to swing like just as hard as like one of those yeah. you know one of those movies Jason, thank you so much for your time so it's a pleasure thank you until next time yeah absolutely anytime man i appreciate it have a good one all right take care jason eisner ladies and gentlemen i I'm really sad to have missed out on this conversation because Hobo with a shotgun. Like I had not seen, I, I knew of the concept. I had not actually gotten to sit down and see the film before actual, before we prepared for the show. Tell Sorry. So tell me your, your initial thoughts or your thoughts just after finally seeing Hobo with a shotgun then. I would have loved to have had Grindhouse actually adopt this film in and so like this this just goes into the grindhouse canon this is i officially consider this grindhouse canon along with planet terror death proof machete like this is in there and it belongs it, it is so war it so warmly belongs in there because you watch <laughs> that opening credit sequence and you hear 
that music ripped from an exploitation film. And it's like, ah, I, you, you love Quentin's work. You love Robert Rodriguez's work. You love this milieu. I, I know that you love this. And then getting to the fucking city in the beginning, it's like, wow, this is Canada's answer to, to, uh, to Delta uh, city in a <laughs> RoboCop. Yeah, this is this is Canada's answer to Delta City. It's like wow, or old Detroit. It's like wow. Yeah, I mean like, it's even worse in so many ways. But uh, it's just well, yeah. Well, they never went after kids in RoboCop. Like Bravo. It's... Like just the moral malleability of <laughs> Jason Eisner's work is so beautiful because it's it's not like the actual exploitation where some of it was just really sleazy and just like uh. Like you've got people repeatedly calling women whores and like all this other innuendo and all this other stuff, but it's never done to be lascivious, but it's also never just thrown out there because, oh, well, that's how they talked. Like this, this world is so well constructed by Jason that it's obviously tongue in cheek, but at the same time, it's, you take it for base value, you take it for serious value in that universe. It's not cute and hardcore. Of course, but in the same breath, except except for the very end of the movie, throughout the entire thing, it is filled with brilliant one-liners. Oh yeah, I mean like things that are just like, how do they keep coming up with them? And you know, and I brought it up during the interview, like the idea of like you know that first headline, the first the newspaper headline comes in, a hobo demands change, and ah! it's just like it's so simple, but like. It's uh, but it's brilliantly smart in, in the same breath, and I, you know, like it's it's gonna get old that I keep saying simple and smart, and simple in a good way, of course, because I said it so well, many times to Jason when we spoke. But it's just like that's what this movie is. This movie is just doing things so out of the box and so crazy, and so like I can't believe somebody's doing this, but in the smartest ways possible for the type of movie it is, and knowing what you're doing, not doing it by accident, knowing what you're doing. No, exactly. I mean, mentioning another filmmaker that's in this sort of orbit, this is very much in the wheelhouse of also Edgar Wright. Like, yeah. it, he understands exploitation films. He is not trying to make a faux exploitation film and use that as, as an excuse to drape all these, like, this gore and these practical effects and these punchlines. Like, he's not just using this as a vehicle for that. This is like all the parts are there and that's part of why when you see these kids gone after it's you're not like look gregory smith i know him from small soldiers <laughs> so to see him playing one of the drake's two bastard sons and that moment on the bus who's like you like school you like ice cream you like hobos I hate hobos. And then he just flames them and just in another movie, that's, you know, it's it it is just plain old heel behavior. Yeah. And you probably are like, you're either with it or you're not. But this one you're just with it because it's done in such comic, but not winking. It, it's it's done with such comic flair, but it doesn't wink at the audience so much that you can enjoy it but you're still bought into the stakes of, of the world. Like you can condemn them for burning these children, but it's not like a scarring sequence where like you're, you're sitting there. And it's like, Oh my God, those kids. It's like life is cheap in this town. Yeah. Well, it also is it not, not pays homage, but you know, it, it helps because early on in the film, 
when you do get these very gory and grotesque things, they're so not real in a lot of ways. Yes, these exactly. things are happening, but like people break apart like their vases. But so, so like, so like human skin all of a sudden doesn't even work in the same way. So it's like, you know, you're in this world where things are so exaggerated and out of the box where it's not going to like, when you get to a point where other things happen, it's not like you can go, oh, well, that's just not, that's just too much. We're in terrifier country again. The only yeah, thing is I mean, even, terrifier- I, even in a different sense though, but yes. Yes. Oh yes. Because with terrifier, it's like, it is playing it up for the horror and for the violence and for the like despicable behavior but in here is just playing it up because that it, this is just an elastic universe and they're doing it for fun because that's just the stakes of all this and that's the th- that and that's where it, like you can tell that rucker Hauer was 100 on board when he when he signs on to do this oh fuck but, yes and i can't even think of a i really can't think of an example where he hasn't jumped into something that he didn't buy on like he always yeah. brought that but that's the, and that's the thing it's like but you still can't imagine whether or not you even if you, even if you know who Rucker Howard is or not before this, the fact that you can't, I, I still I still hard for me to even imagine just the fact that he is doing these things, and it's so wonderful and so brilliant to hear how much of it was like, actually him saying like no we got to do this or we should do this or not this, it, it, it's just it's just absolutely breathtaking actually. And you know what that just might have been if I'm not mistaken. Some of Rudger Hauer's earlier films he did with uh, Paul Verhoeven. So that's probably where he kind of got that sort of rock and roll cavalier <laughs> attitude, but also like knows the knows the reality of such things. Yeah, he did Flesh and Blood with him back in 85. So I'm sure even just working on one movie with Verhoeven, no matter how serious or how whatever, you get inside that man's mind. And then you mm. go and watch other movies he makes like Robocop, like this, this also fits in that same sort of universe where it's just so pulpy and like it's exploitative, but it's not overtly so, but it's very pulpy and kind of like you could you could have made this movie back in the 80s. And Rutger Hauer might have still done it too. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's like something being made now makes it makes it better. And look, you oh, know, yeah. I didn't talk about it with Jason this time. I I did when I first talked to him when the movie came out, I talked to him about that whole speech about that he gives about you know bears because that ends up actually being an actual word for word speech that a guy that jason eiser knows gives and they just wrote it into the script and rucker howard talks talks about it because there are so many like the things that come out of his mouth the, the dialogue just all of it is just so it's I you know I I I I get at a loss for words for just how much I love it almost you know, it's hard to be hard boiled. It's hard to be funny, and it's hard to do those two things together. But everybody in this world does that, especially Rudger Hauer, and that's that really is just an amazing treat when it comes to this. Like I love when I mean last year we had Violent Night, where that's another film that I think sort of. It's not as, it's more polished and it's more studio friendly, but at the same time, the way it treats its reality, the way it treats its characters and the way that it walks that line between the ridiculous and the believable, it just, it does not pander to the audience. It doesn't try to sell them too hard. It's like, look, this is the concept. I understand if you're not with it, but if the people that are with it are going to love how we commit to the bit. Yeah, but you know what? And here's and like I'm not trying to talk down about Violent Night or anything like that. But here's where like Hobo with a Shotgun, I think, 
can be would be considered the better film specifically too is because even though there is this out of the box overacting atmosphere of hobo with a shotgun i think in something like violent night you know i think john leguizamo takes it too far out of the box for what's what's there and it doesn't really fit in as well to me and it seems cartoonish where the cartoonishness in hobo with a shotgun fits the entire world that is built for us and it just feels it just feels so good I'm going to have to revisit this violent night thing at some point because I didn't think Leguizamo was cartoonish in that. Uh, I was, oh, I will go. This is that's a discussion for another time. And I, I didn't dislike violent night, but I'm not as love with those other people. I thought it's way too long to get going. And uh, when it finally got going, there was some fun stuff. But I think I think this other stuff just didn't didn't work that well for me. But that's another discussion because um, you know I, I also got to bring up you know and I, I know we talked I talked about it a lot when I did talk to Jason, but. Um, yeah, I love Rip and Grinder, man. I just absolutely love them. You love what? Rip and Grinder, the plague. Oh yeah. Uh, oh man. That's another thing that just I was getting so many Mandy vibes off of this. Like I know it's not it's not as committed to the serious. Like Mandy is a probably a dead serious version of Hobo with a shotgun because <laughs> it kind of feels like that. Because you've got the man, like the man of peace, and then all of a sudden plunged into this horribly horrifically violent world and he turns to vengeance and it's really brightly colorful you've got people in all these different weird sorts of get-ups but still even with the plague being as cool as they are they've got a bit of the jankiness to like the kids uh well like the kids in uh the VHS short, uh, Slumber Party Abduction. And, like and, and Brazilians, they, they, they make a lot of short films in that. They make a lot of their yeah. own little short films uh, dressed up in their uh, made-up uh, costumes and everything. A little a little, little less real than, than Rip and Grinder, I guess. But that, the, I'll tell you a funny story. is um, Again, also, when Hobo with a Shotgun originally first came out, there was a... Um, a uh, uh, it was an actual hobo with a shotgun. Well, no, but there was like, a, I don't know what you call it nowadays. There was a... Uh, 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 a little get together at a bar. Um, I I actually left before Jason showed up. He was he was late or, or something like that. I can't remember. But there were two guys that they had come in dressed as Rip and Grinder. I have a picture with them. Oh, uh, get out! Yeah, and uh, it was it was a fun time. And then uh, then I then I left. But uh, see, I don't know which I'm more upset for you missing that or karaoke with Michael Fassbender for Frank. The Frank thing pisses me off. The Frank and was, there's nothing karaoke about that, but that from what I understand, but. Oh, I the, thought the fact that I missed that pissed me off. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you can go back and listen to our episode about Frank, and uh, you can go ahead and make your mind up as to which opportunity Matthew missed is the greater miss. Well, I didn't miss. I, I don't say I that. I had my picture with Rip and Grinder. I just, I just, I just left before oh, yeah. I saw Jason. I spoke to him over the phone instead. <laughs> yeah, but could you imagine sitting down with Jason and like? Since he is a grindhouse aficionado, like anyone that's done any of the anything adjacent to grindhouse, they're just the sorts of people that I feel like you could sit down with them and have drinks and have one of the best conversations ever. <laughs> and that reminds me of something that almost happened in my career, but they changed tactic at the last minute when uh, when they were promoting the King's Man. What was originally going to happen is there was like a small group of us invited to talk to Matthew Vaughn. And the plan was to go to a pub and like have drinks with him, record the audio and just do a round table with him. Mm. But then they changed it to virtual. I'm assuming it, I don't know if it was. Cause it was right around, it had to be right around the time, right? Well, this was like end of 21. 
Really? Like, towards the end of 21. That's when, when the King's Man came out? Oh, yeah. Because the end of 21 is when King's Man, Nightmare Alley, and West Side Story all got murdered by Spider-Man. That, that was all, that was, I don't even know. My brain's not working anymore, I guess, for timelines. Um, but like, I, I want more of those sorts of things. Like I want to be, I would love if we could even be able to get to the point where we have this show that we can sit down with people and just maybe have drinks and record yeah. and just fun. We will. Not that the show I won't, I won't have any alcohol drinks myself since I don't drink, but. Oh, well, fair. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, and that's the thing, you know, like just as I spoke with Jason as well, you know, look, Hobo with a Shotgun and Kids vs. Aliens are his only feature length films. And he's had other stuff on the on the plate that was supposed to happen that gets pulled out at the last second. And so, like, hopefully, you know, we get to the point now where somebody like him who has all these ideas gets to have gets to make them come to fruition eventually, more so than not. Well, yeah. And I I I know I'm throwing names out here, but it, that are connected, but this one works better. It works probably the best of all because he's definitely Jason is in the sort of same air as Adam Wingard especially because they work together in like the ABCs of death and the VHS sort of universes and collectives. I think it was the collective that had all of them together. Well, I mean, the but... VHS two was mostly just that <laughs> was, was mainly Adam for the most part, except for, um, well, ex there... except for Jason's. Well, the, no, cause there was, uh, I, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Uh, Timo. There was another one, yeah, there was another one but I think the, 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 cause he had, Adam did the main part of VHS two plus two shorts, I think. Right. I th see, I need to look this up now because I think I was I, I was looking at this earlier. I should have written it down, but it was like one of the shorts was Adam. I remember looking at it and just seeing his name a lot. Yeah, because well, you had Simon Barrett did the wraparounds, then Adam. You know, I, when Simon, yeah, but I can see, you know what? I can, I, I count them as one person almost sometimes. Adam and Simon. Yeah. Right. I mean that 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 the energy's there. But yeah, Simon Barrett wrote and directed the wraparounds. Adam Wingert did us, and Simon Barrett teamed up for phase one clinical trials. Eduardo Sanchez and Greg Hale did Ride in the Park. Yeah, uh, Timo. Eduardo Sanchez. Uh, we, have, we, have, we have all these, uh, for everybody who doesn't know, upco upcoming, we have a lot of um, Adam Wingert and Eduardo Sanchez stuff coming up too, because we have, um, we won't say it specifically, but by saying those two names, if you know, you know what's coming up soon. Well, I know Adam Wingard's still working on Godzilla versus Kong. Artis Sanchez was one of the co-directors of the original Blair Witch. Oh, yeah. Well, the original Blair Witch, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, duh. Okay. Um, we're not gonna give away the cards, folks, but uh, Matt makes a good point. That makes a very <laughs> good point. Maybe you should watch Blair Witch, the Adam Wingard legacy sequel to the Blair Witch Project. It might come up on a future episode. What? I don't know but I totally know. Or maybe it's already an episode you've seen and heard. This one came out after. We don't know. Who knows? Time is very fluid in podcasts because, you know, I've, I know when, when I really like a podcast, especially if it's something like this, I'll go back to the beginning and I'll listen to the episodes all the way through. Mm. And then it's just, it's also really interesting because sometimes the, the, you, you find a little bit more of the personal stories with the podcast hosts and the jokes that they make, like there's callbacks, there's references. It's almost like you're l learning a story while you're listening to a podcast from top to bottom. You should listen to Overdue Rentals top to bottom, ladies and gentlemen, because, and 
and all non-binary folks, you know, everybody. I, I keep meaning to say like distinguished listeners, friends, family, and distinguished listeners because I want to be inclusive. I keep saying whatever because I don't even think. I just say whatever comes out of my head. <laughs> Fellow humans, <laughs> listen to our show from top to bottom. Just saying. But anyway, back to the matter at hand, Mr. Jason Eisner's fantastic works. I, I like the fact that he seems to be a filmmaker that knows how to expand a short. Because expanding a short into a full film is not always easy and it doesn't always yield good results because I I'm still remember being burned by nine. Not like nine, wait, the, the animated movie? Yeah. Oh, I didn't even know there was a short for it. I had no clue. I, yeah, that's third I, I, I don't think I've even seen and I don't think I've seen the movie, to be honest with you. Yeah, maybe I'll give it another chance, but I remember that being an an, an idea that was expanded from a short, and it's like eh. Well, that's the thing, you know, look, when Hope with a shotgun. There's a lot of stuff that's in the original trailer that he recreated for this for this movie, but there's so much more going on. Kids versus Aliens is really, you know, in, in so many Kids versus Aliens in so many ways is it's not the same thing, but it is the same thing. And there are a few recreations, as we discussed during the interview. There are a few recreations in there, but it's it's much more expanded. But you know, if if you yeah, if you looked at one and the other, you you know that you know that there's you know one came from the other, but it's not the same exact thing, and there's a lot more going on, and it's a lot more, a lot more gruesome. And uh, well, yeah, because I went back and watched Hobo with a Shotgun's trailer after watching the movie, and he's running on top of a submarine. Wait, what? Or at least it looked like he was running on top of a submarine at one point. I do not remember this in the trailer. In like the, the yeah, no, but I watched thing. it too, and I do not remember this. I don't know. Maybe I just really want. Maybe to I see... forgot about it. I don't know. Maybe I just really want to see a hobo with a shotgun, clandestine ops, or something. I don't know. But like, even like, even like, but the, including just like straight lines too. Like, you'll sleep in your corp, your dead corpus, your corpses tonight. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's just too good, man. And just look, every the, the fact that he wants to, just like his dreams to buy a lawnmower so and cut lawns in a place that doesn't have lawns. <laughs> It's just everything about it is just so is just so good. But yet you still want him to have that dream. You don't even really th you think about it for a little while, but you you sort of push it aside because you see that this guy wants to do something for his community. And in the end, he does end up doing something. But just, you know, <laughs> their asses are grass. He's the lawnmower. <laughs> I just wish I just. Here's the and I, and I said it. I said it plenty of times when I think when I was talking to Jason too. Like I hadn't seen the film in a while, but I could remember it like it was yesterday. Even though there were still things that like had to be refreshed sometimes, but it's it's one of those things you put it on and you you remember how good it was. But and it's still good. It do, it does not let down in a way whatsoever. I still had a blast again, and um, it's such a tight running time too. Like it's around the hour and a half mark. And Christmas Aliens under an hour and a half. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I know a lot of... I, I hate when people start harping on, people don't know how to make hour and a half long movies anymore. Normalize the hour and a half movie. <laughs> I will still fall back to the paraphrase that one of my editors loves to throw out with Roger Ebert. A, a good movie is never too, too long and a bad movie is never too short. Or I mean, something along those lines. Everything's subjective. You know, like the thing is, if something's going to bore the crap out of you, it could be an hour and a half. It can feel like three hours. If something's exciting to you and it's three hours, it's it's gonna feel like nothing. And exactly. that's the thing too. And it's it's also like a first viewing compared to multiple viewings. Cause there's movies, any long movie you've seen, when you watch it again, it always feels like that ended so quick. 
because you know what's coming, you know, and it doesn't feel the same anymore. And those are the actually those are the I think those are my favorite things a lot of times because those are the perfect things to put on the background when you need something to kill time because they're going to take up a big chunk of time, but they're not going to feel like they're going to make it drag. Right before holiday break, I threw on Zack Snyder's Justice League. And that actually did that for me because I, wow. that four hours goes by for me. That that zooms for me. I really enjoyed that. That one I'm going to have to disagree with you on massively. I'm sorry, buddy. That's that, okay. That, may feel, that would feel like eight hours to me. Did you watch it? Yeah, remember we told me we, we had a whole big thing oh, with it with Trace yeah. B, Trace below on the, on his uh, episode where we yeah. talked about the spinning uh, computer monitors. <laughs> but even you know, uh, have you seen Babylon? I have not actually seen Babylon yet. Babylon is fantastic, and it does not feel it does not drag its three hour time. Avatar: The Way of Water drags through that three hours and twelve minutes. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't wait. It doesn't drag all the way. Because there's like a there's a really good section in the center where it's like, oh, okay, we're away from the warfare and our villain is away for an hour basically, but there's really cool creatures and it looks nice. And then it goes back into action mode at the end. And some people are like, this is some of the best action James Cameron's done in a while. And it's like, well, yeah, but if you drag, if you just shoehorn into the end of the film and you tack it on and you just, yeah. it, it, that movie did not need to be three hours and 12 minutes. And now he says he has a nine hour version of Avatar 3. I can't. Look, I, I, I'll, I'll change, get cut. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna change the subject, but I will say that to me, that's where, like, again, because it depends, because a movie's gonna be good or bad. That's all it is, and that's why I love the two and a half hour comedy movie. When a comedy movie could be two and a half, or like, you know, like I know it's a little under two and a half hours, but like something like Tropic Thunder is a great, a great example. When a movie could yes. be that long and be that good the whole time and be funny, you've hit gold it's a mad 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 world that movie broke the cardinal rule of comedy by being almost by well over three hours with the roadshow version i think but almost three hours with the version that's more common well you can get both on the criterion but still that film breaks that rule so beautifully <laughs> and it were and it works like a charm every single time and it's just when someone knows their material and has a cast that knows that material. And even just down to having a good editor, you're 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 set. Like if there was a three-hour version of Hobo with a shotgun, it would only be because Jason Eisner understands it. He had enough material from his his cast, obviously, and his editors knew that it flowed perfectly. But then again, <laughs> that movie would never be three hours. And it and it just ends so brilliantly. Like just really just kind of boom, okay, got what we needed, did what we came here to do, credits, and I was, I remember being stunned because it's like, no, I, I thought there would have been at least two, five more minutes of maybe some sort of epilogue. But or no, like it's a teaser just, for another movie or something? Well, even just closure for, I'm blanking on her name right now, but closure- Abby? Who? Addie? Yeah, closure on Abby's character and just, you know, maybe it shows that she's going onto the streets and, and being a defender, but you probably know that at this point. You know that she's going to do that. If there was going to be a second film, they might have just had her become the next hobo with a shotgun or something. Or, or the second film was Rip running after her, trying to say, hey, you took out Grinder, you're the new Grinder." Uh <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I would have loved... I, I, I kind of liked that concept. Like the whole just she inherits that mantle and becomes badass, but then she'd be working for whoever 
takes over for the Drake probably. And, you know, she's not supposed to turn, she's not supposed to turn heel. She's supposed to be our face, our, our hero. Look, she's fantastic at it. The plague has been around for a long time. They took out Abraham Lincoln. They took out the Easter bunny. They took out Jesus. They took out Jesus. <laughs> I know that was such a cool detail that like, they don't make a big deal about it. <laughs> no. It's in- introduced so beautifully. Like you see that shot. It's like, wait, wait, is that? And then you see them paint the brush over the hobo's picture. And then you get that closer look. That's like, yeah, these happened. But at the same time, they don't get cute about it. They don't turn it into a big hoop to do. They let the audience discover it. Yep. It's not an Easter egg, but it's not an overdrawn joke. It's just, it's that sweet spot right in the, this whole movie is a sweet spot right in the middle. Like and, so balanced. And that's the cue for you, everybody, to go watch Hobo with a Shotgun, report back to us what you thought, check out Kids vs. Aliens on January 20th, let us know what you think. Boost the Jason know. Eisner fan club. And with that, Mike, also, where can people find us that they need to come tell us about these things? Well, our good, fair audience who enjoys to listen, who enjoys listening to, let me try that again. Our good fair audience who likes to listen to the Overdue Rental Show when we're not busy delivering justice on the streets one shell at a time, you can find our heroic exploits on TikTok and Instagram at Overdue Rental Show, on Twitter at Rentals Overdue, on Facebook at Overdue Rentals. And if you want to email us love letters, suggestions, and manifestos of vengeance to rise up in the night and fight aliens or whatever other scourge comes down to try and threaten us, you can email us at overdurentals at gmail.com. All that stuff requires an internet connection, obviously, and we're all constantly online. So while you're doing that, I highly recommend, even though I've already recommended this throughout the show, <laughs> I'm just going to keep going like a broken record. I think you should find us wherever you ethically source your podcasts, places like Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Stitcher, Audible, because we are at 60-something episodes right now. I think we're at 68. Depends on when at. this goes up, I guess. Well, we're at 60-some-odd episodes. We're approaching our 70th episode. And, you know, we don't sound like a day over five. But <laughs> uh, you will be able to listen to so many other fantastic episodes. Like, we have Simon Barrett for uh, your next. Or was it for your next that we had Simon Barrett? No, it was the guest. Oh, it was the, oh, it was the guest. Simon Barrett for the guest, but also Seance, which is another fantastic film that you should be checking out. Uh, We had Ben Wheatley as our first guest. We've Mm. had so many fantastic, you have to listen. Have you listened to the Tim Roth episode? You have to listen to the Tim Roth episode. So many fantastic, or or, or, our episode with Victoria. Which Victoria? Exactly, that's up up Mm. to the listeners because they were both fantastic. That is the magic of overdue rentals. Again, you're listening to us. But I feel like I need to sell it a little more. You should push this on your friends as well. Not push it, but just say, you have a car ride. You have chores to do at home. Why not listen to Matt and Mike? Yeah. We're, we're here to help. And since we're here to help, you're here to help as well. Because by rating, reviewing, and subscribing to our show, the rental counter can stay open. And we can get vital feedback from you as to what sort of guests you want to hear. What sort of movies you want to hear about. Is there something that you think would be Patreon friendly? Something that would be really cool for us to do as a bonus episode or a, some sort of like other tangent we can run off and like a, a limited series. These are the places you can tell us these things. 
unless you happen to see us out in the wild and like shake our hands and yeah but friends family listeners i think that's going to do it for today's episode of overdue rentals with a shotgun so we're just going to close with a gentle and hearty and the first of 2023 Mm -hmm. bye bye